Hi, welcome to the HRD Live podcast. I'm Finn Murphy and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Jason Fowler, Fujitsu Global's VP, HR Director UK and Head of HR Northern and Western Europe. As a senior leader, Jason is well placed to recognise that, even within a disrupted market that has affected all businesses, each organisation has its own risks and opportunities to face as it works to meet its objectives. However, defining these priorities within the organisational agenda is a challenge. But Jason argues that, through focusing on teams, building on the benefits of flexible working and enabling HR's decision-making capabilities, organisations will be able to acknowledge and resolve the key priorities to ensure success. Please note that as this was a remote recording, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. Enjoy the podcast. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. What do you think will be the key priorities within the organisational agenda in the time ahead? In my opinion, the single biggest priority for all organisations right now is to shape their version of that near-term future, to get intentional about that and to get planning about it. But it, it is, it's imperative. And I talk to a lot of organisations who aren't yet at a stage of thinking through, well, what does that look like for us? They may have got to the point of discussing things like, well, perhaps a hybrid model. Well, maybe a hybrid model will work. But what really does that mean? How do you create a sense of a future model that allows all employees to have equal opportunity to fulfill their potential? That you don't send a message that um, you can continue to work from home if that suits you and be satisfied that that's enough. Because there is a high degree of risk that you can find that people can continue to do their jobs remotely, but can they develop their careers? Can they progress whilst working remotely when others aren't? I think you've got to look very carefully at what your leadership intentions actually are. I've observed when talking to a lot of organizations that there there can be a dissonance between what their leaders, leaders say that they would like their employees to have the opportunity to do, but what they themselves intend to do. So a lot of leaders are very open, I think, to the prospect of, yes, we must retain a much higher degree of flexibility in our working pattern than we had prior to the pandemic. But if anybody wants me, I'll be in the office five days a week. And what that will send is a really clear message, far clearer than any policy far clearer than any internal communication that gets sent out. The message that will be sent is we're going back to how it was. And what leaders do is disproportionately more impactful than what they say. And what that means is you run the risk of a two-tier workforce where everybody feels as though it's perfectly fine, as I say, to do the job remotely. But if you want to get on, and we all know that relationships are a big factor in career progression, the relationships between leaders and the wider team are going to be formed in those casual, informal moments in between the meetings in the office, if that's where the leaders are. So the leaders have got to think carefully about their own intent and their own behavior and ensure that there is the minimum amount of dissonance between the things that they say they would like the organization to do and their own behaviors. I think there's also the um, uh, massive opportunity that we talked about before in terms of the proposition that this makes to your own existing talent and also to the talent that you might want to attract into your organization 
in the future. So I won't talk about that again, but I really think that is such an amazing opportunity if done well. Few will do it well. Few will do it well, which I think makes it even more of an opportunity and well worth going after. But I'm also convinced that the opportunity to improve equity, equity of opportunity, equity um, uh, in the workplace massively increases as a result of this experience. It doesn't mean it will happen, but the opportunity uh, uh, for it to happen has increased massively. And, and that is because when we remove those barriers that have been so habitual and long held of commute, work, commute, often into a major city, we have turned off opportunities for a whole swathe of the population, be those people with caring responsibilities, perhaps childcare responsibilities. We know that that all too often still falls in the majority of cases more to females than it does to males. It also puts off potentially people with disabilities, both physical and invisible, and, and it may put off those from underrepresented groups. This gives you the chance to really break those barriers down, make sure they don't return, and improve the level of equity that exists within your organization. And I also think social mobility massively comes to play in that as well. Now, they are the right things to do because they are the right things to do, but they are also, I think, the most commercially sensible things for any employer to be thinking about carefully right now as well. How will leaders tackle unanticipated factors that can affect strategic outcomes, such as unconscious bias in relation to DNI? There is still a, 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 there's still a big problem. There's still a massive underrepresentation in senior leadership positions of women, of people from um, uh, non-white backgrounds. And, uh, and indeed, people with disabilities and, and also um, the social mobility uh, uh, prospects are, are, are lower than really they ought to be in a company, in a country as advanced as ours and one that is as digital as ours is and as digital as ours can be. I think there's a collective will to want to break those issues, but habits are hard to get rid of. This past 12 months has forced us to get rid of those habits. I think the, the key opportunity is to just don't allow them to be built back. Think deliberately to make sure that you are conscious in not building back the barriers that may have prevented full and proper representation in your organization for colleagues from different backgrounds with different circumstances. Um, and again, I come back to the point that this is not only the right thing to do because it is the right thing to do, do the right thing, but it's also, it is a brilliant way to get commercial advantage. We know for a fact that the more diverse range of opinions uh, and experiences that exist within an organization, as long as this is combined with good levels of psychological safety and so therefore your inclusiveness uh, at least matches uh, your levels of diversity, should exceed your levels of diversity. As long as inclusiveness and psychological safety um, coexist, the greater levels of diversity that you have, the more likely you are to deliver far better results than your competitors. So this is a way to come out of this pandemic, to exit with advantage. But as I emphasize, it's important that leadership, and especially HR leaders, don't 
underestimate how much effort it will take to make sure those habits don't reform and build back in a structured way, a different way of working that allows those opportunities to be realised. Why is HR well-placed to cut through the noise and help define what the key priorities are? So I think HR should lead it, but I really believe that HR can't do it on their own. This is a, this is a leadership team. This is a board level topic because it's quite fundamental, I think, to everything that, that any organization is going to be doing. Now, 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 HR is brilliantly placed to lead it because this, I think, is a, is a people and culture topic. It's a people and culture topic, but it will turn up in, say, leadership behaviours. It will turn up in the physical space. What does it look like? What is it used for? I mean, that, I mean it sounds like a, a really basic question. What's the purpose of our office? Maybe that purpose is different now than it was 12 months ago. Think carefully about what that is. It's a place, perhaps, for in, intentional collaboration, not for just repeat business as usual. It's a work day. It's a weekday. Therefore, I go into the office. You know, think, thinking differently, reimagining things like the physical space. So HR doesn't own the physical space, but as part of a coordinated program, that brings into play your buildings and facilities team. Now, there's another area that I think HR should be better placed than it is to focus on, and that is the digital experience. So as we are doing now, as all of us have done for the past 12 months, we've grown accustomed to our um our work and our social interactions being predominantly digital. The relationship between HR and technology has not always been a great one, but I think HR and organizations now need to recognize that this employee experience, the EX, as HR has talked about for some time, has become DX. It's digital experience becomes employee experience. HR, I think, needs to partner much more effectively with internal IT and with other parts of the, um, of the leadership of an organization to make sure that the employee experience, or the digital experience is being considered, even when it's not an HR piece of technology that's being discussed or considered. Because all of this shapes to a much greater extent than perhaps we realize the sense of how easy it is for me to do my job, how frustrated I get with my company because of the tools and equipment that they give me, how I'm able to collaborate and, and be productive um, remotely. All of that has been important over the course of the past 12 months, but, but HR coordinating and leading in conjunction with internal IT, the plan on the DX post-pandemic, I think becomes really central to how you make this work. And HR has to get more comfortable with technology, has to get more comfortable with technology terminology, and has to really be comfortable offering their voice, their opinion, um, and, and maybe even asserting their decision on, on more technology topics than they have been used to doing in the past. Are organisational priorities aligned with employees' priorities, or is there any deviation? So I think there's been, there's been perhaps for many of us, a, a sort of period of self-reflection over the course of the past 12 months, a re-evaluation of, of what really is important. It's been impossible, I think, to watch the news and, and, and not be shocked and indeed frightened by some of the statistics that we have all seen here in this country and across the world, um, and, and to become a little fearful for that. I think the absence 
of physical interaction with the people that we care about, the absence of social interaction with friends and with family. I think that has, that for many, caused a, a sort of reassessment of where they want to spend their time, how they want to spend their time when we are finally able to choose how we spend our time, because at the moment we can't, and we haven't really been able to for quite some time. So I do think that will cause a, a re-evaluation within, um, uh, within many individuals that will um, uh, may change their, their decisions on, on career, may just change their expectations of their employee. Now, of course, what we shouldn't forget is that, that this has put some organizations into uh, real dire straits, and that has had an impact on their employees as well. So there are going to be different versions of this, and, and some people's priorities may well be um, pretty uh, keen uh, in financial terms. But beyond that, that I think there is a re-evaluation that may be taking place. Um, I think organizations themselves, depending upon which sector they are in, may not have yet got to that point of re-evaluation. But this is where they need to, to your phrase, get in lockstep with what their um, current and indeed future employees, their future talent, their current talent is expecting of them. I don't think it means that employers ought to be trying to create a, uh, an environment that suits everybody's preference. I think that would be a mistake. I do, though, think it's important to mention before, get that input from your employees, get them contributing to your company-specific version of the future. But don't be um, misguided in thinking that it needs to cater for everybody's preference. It may well be that you experience some significant churn in your employee base post this pandemic, as people themselves may reevaluate what it is they want from their lives, from their careers. As an organization, if you assert this is what our future vision looks like, it may not be for everybody, but it will be for others out there in the marketplace. So there may be a churn that takes place when people feel more comfortable about the buoyancy of the employment market. And I think that's not something to be feared. I think there is a, 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 an organization needs to consider what is its own gravitational pull for the talent that it's got, and for the talent that it wants, and be comfortable that that may mean some may choose uh, not to be a part of that. But, but trying to cater for all, or indeed just allowing it to happen however it happens by itself, I think would be far greater risk. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. To keep up to date with the latest content from HRD Connect, make sure you follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.